0: Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch is joined by Jay Rayero, attorney for the legal team at Berta Dotto. All right. Welcome, everybody. Alex Tiersch, Medical Spa Insider. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We have Jay Rayero, the... Um, attorney extraordinaire at Bertadado, really the heart and beating soul of, of all the attorneys at Bertadotto. Um Jay, welcome to the program. How you doing,
1: Alex? Thanks for having me. Doing great today. Doing great.
0: Awesome. Um, I uh, I asked you to come on because I, you know, w- we see. A lot of obviously there's there's a lot of compliance issues that we deal with all the time in medical spas. One thing that we're seeing consistently over and over again, and it's been happening for a long time, um, and it's not necessarily a compliance issue, but but I see a lot of people doing it, and 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 I think the thing that is not necessarily concerning, but, but, but the most um, eye opening to me is that there's a lot of marketing and a lot of, um, a lot of push. And and that is for doing Botox parties or, um, offsite events. So like parties at someone's either at someone's house or after hours at their, at their, um, at their offices or, or some sort of kind of offsite event. And they, and they do a big event. It's a big fanfare and they send out invitations and, and and they're doing things um, like that. And, and and there's some tricky compliance issues with that, that I want to get into, um, and that's kind of the the main topic of this podcast. However, before we get into that, one thing I always like to do when I have um, you smart attorneys on is um, is just because you know Bertadotto, you, you, you all are are really have your finger on the pulse of all things compliance um, in aesthetics. You, you 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 do consults for for AMSPA members, and really this is what you're doing all day. So the 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 work that you guys have on a day in day out basis really gives. The rest of us a good idea of what's going on in the industry as far as compliance wise. So I always like to ask you uh, when you come on, like what's you know what's what's one of the the kind of the 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 main things that you're talking about with clients, or or one of the 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 main compliance issues that you're seeing pop up over and over again that um, that that we should be that people should be aware of um, as they move towards uh, their their med spa opening and and doing and and business.
1: Yeah, I think. You know, in this industry, there's a ton of different types of services. There's always new technology coming out. Right. Um, but I think within the last, uh, you know, few months, but really it's been happening over the last year or two. Um, we're talking to a lot of people looking at adding uh, IV hydration mm. to either their service line or. Uh, simply running an IV hydration business, whether Mm -hmm. that is, that is all they offer within their facility, whether they're partnering with gyms, or they're going to people's homes, you know, there's a bunch of different permutations, we've even seen, you know, franchise like um, type deals. Um, And I think it's not necessarily the IV hydration part, but it really ends up being what we talk to these Clients and and prospective clients about a lot is the compliance issues that come with it from the clinical process. Um, You know, obviously, you know, as with a lot of these services in this industry, there's a a retail-like feel. There's there's a a desire to offer it in a retail-like way. They don't want it to be medical. They want it to to feel like you know a regular spa where you can go in and you know get a massage or get your nails done. It's it's very retail-like, and so that. That kind of conflict between that desire and the fact that with IV hydration, we're still talking about the practice of medicine leads to some problems with compliance. And that's probably where we focus most of our discussion on is how do you offer these services? What are the traps? What are we seeing out there? And I think that's probably been the biggest thing really exploding over the last few months. But like I said, we've been dealing with this probably for a year or two now.
2: Yeah,
0: it's, it's been around, um, and, it, it you know, some of these new treatments, people feel like, oh, they're going to be a flash in the pan, and then, and then they're gone. Um, th- this is ha- IV therapy is not, uh, you know, we're not going to get too much into the specifics of it, but but I'm curious because it, it, it does actually tie in to what we're talking about, which is off-site events. You know, the first time I saw the IV therapy, uh, the, the true iteration of it was – Um, in Vegas, gosh five six years ago maybe seven years ago and there was the the hangover cure right the bus that would drive up or or you could make an appointment in your hotel room and 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 they would send hopefully they would send a nurse practitioner or or to to do to do the iv therapy um for folks that had been had a little you know over imbibing the night before um but we're seeing it more and more um with 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 just vitamin drips and things like that there is it's interesting because there is a a a perception that it is not medical treatment but by a lot of folks we see you know ah it's just it's it's iv or they're doing they they're just doing vitamins vitamins are not prescriptions they're doing you know saline and hydration that's not a, necessarily a prescription you know because you can get you know anybody can drink water what what's the what's the the biggest as we start looking at this more closely what's kind of the biggest compliance hurdle or red flag that you see with folks who are starting, um, IV bars or IV, IV hydration services at their med spa?
1: Yeah, I think the, probably the biggest one that we've seen is this desire to essentially bypass the good faith exam, um, that we've talked about all the time. Mm -hmm. you know, the exam that's typically done by an MD, NP or PA, and there's this, there's this process where they want to skip that and basically, uh, have it to be where you answer a questionnaire. And if you answer the questions correctly, then you can go ahead and have the IV. So using kind of a standing order type concept. And so that's probably the, the, the number one issue that we see and what a lot of people, again, trying to go with that retail-like feel, right? You don't want to walk into a gym and feel like you're at a doctor's office going through a good faith exam. So they want to bypass that here, fill out this questionnaire. And that is the quote unquote good faith exam and operating under the, you know, protocol that's been developed. If the patient or the client answers all the questions uh, correctly, then, I as the provider am now authorized to continue and provide that service. So I think that's the biggest one that we see, and the biggest you know kind of compliance issue that you know we we find a lot of the industry is is running into.
0: Well, and that's and that's per- particular um, to the provider, right? So if you have, um, and 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 this is actually a really nice segue into into events because standing orders come into that. Uh, as well, um, depending on who the provider is. So if 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 you're an RN, for instance, or if you're a medical assistant, or or a phlebotomist who does IVs or whatever that is, um, so long if if you're not able to do that good faith exam, that's where the standing order comes in. So and and, and we see this mostly with with RNs. And, and I guess uh, my question is, what's the what's the issue here? Like if we have an RN, um, whether it's in a, in um, uh, an IV bar, or if it's at a, at a Botox party where, where there's a, um, a standing order that says, you know, if X, Y, Z, then the RN can do, you know, ABC. Um, what's the, what's the issue with that, um, relative to the good faith exam and, 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 and medical treatment? Cause I get that. I get that a lot when it comes to injectables. Um, I get it, I haven't got it as much with IV therapy but 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 I know that it's there as well a lot of RNs feel like um or 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 even medical directors feel like folks can just come in and an RN can can do do an IV start an IV and that's fine because they do it all the time it's kind of basic level stuff they've done it in hospitals what's the issue with using standing orders in that in that in that circumstance if any
1: yeah i think i I think the primary issue is the is the is the difference between the standing orders that historically, as you said, RNs are, are accustomed to doing, um, that are applicable in the hospital setting, um, and in fact, that that's a licensed facility, which is completely in a completely different uh, arena compared to the med spa space. So it's almost like comparing apples to oranges. You mm. can't really say, well, just because we have standing orders in the hospital, that we can have them here because they're really two different environments. Um, and so when you look at it, it really boils down to the standard of care. Um, you know, what I always talk to either physicians or anybody, uh, you know, looking at the good faith exam is the medical boards want to ensure that because these are medical services, there has to be the standard of care that's met. And part of that responsibility, part of that obligation to meet the standard of care is to, uh, Conduct that good faith exam. You've got to render a diagnosis. You've got to ensure that the patient is is you know has been examined and that you've done everything possible under your uh, license to ensure the safety of that patient for whatever procedure is going to happen next, whether it's Botox, IVs, you, you name it. There's that obligation to do so. And with the standing order, the the fact that they answer a questionnaire, three questions, and they answer yes doesn't necessarily meet that standard of care and isn't likely sufficient in most States to establish that doctor patient relationship, that nurse practitioner patient relationship, the the fundamentals of before I treat you under my license, I have an ethical obligation to establish that that relationship. And Mm so I think that's where, you know, that part of the issue fails When it's just simply a questionnaire that doesn't explore other things or, you know, what's Botox, right? There are physical examinations, visual examinations that are probably necessary to determine whether they are good. And I don't, I think you lack meeting a certain standard of care by simply just having a questionnaire filled out and someone, someone, you know, checking the box and saying, okay, good. Now I can, now I can perform pursuant to this protocol or, or know, Whatever order has
0: been in place. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's let's take a kind of a step back. So let, let let's say, um, and let's do just kind of um, question A um, in, in in you know the flowchart of of decision making is is there anything wrong or anything against the law or 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 is is there anything inherently bad even about doing treatments off-site so you know not in a doctor's office but at an at an event whether it's it's in someone's home it's at a salon or whatever it is is there anything illegal or bad about that in and of itself
1: generally so on a high level i would have to say generally no um you'll find most states do not um have any specific rules whether it's botox parties or off-site um talking about the performance of a medical procedure at a location other than a medical facility. So just inherently by itself in general, no, there's not, right. there's nothing illegal about that one issue.
0: Is it, it, it so, so I, I, obviously I, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to bury the lead, but I, I actually knew the answer to that question. Um, what, but what is, um, just because it's not it's it's not inherently in and of itself illegal. I feel like and this is mostly from my experience in Illinois and it's and it's been a while. So, so admittedly, I feel like even though there's not because necess- I know like in Illinois, for instance, where, where I'm licensed, th- there is not a any provision that you can find in the medical practice act or anywhere that prohibits anyone from doing a practice outside of a doctor's office. So, so if you want to do a Botox party on, a, on an outside property, there is nothing, at least in Illinois, that I could find um, ever that pre- prevented you from doing so. But um, whenever those cases came up, before the medical board uh, in particular, there seemed to be kind of a, an eyebrow-raising um where and a little bit of a uh, of a of a skepticism that it was okay. Is, is, is Do you do you find that to be true? Kind of in other states as well. Is it is is it just like even though yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. It's technically legal. It, is there kind of a, a heightened level of scrutiny if you are going to you know be investigated for that for for doing an offside party?
1: Yeah, I think you I think you hit it exactly um, right that. it's almost your burden to prove that you didn't do anything wrong, right? So there's that skepticism of, oh, and it really starts with the name. The the, the term Botox party, um, you know, has inherently skepticism to it. So regardless of what the rest of the facts are, just saying a Botox party creates that that level of skepticism. Hmm. And so then when you look at you know if there was an investigation or if there was you know an, an issue that happened i think that's where you're going to find that it's not going to be you're innocent until proven guilty it's going to be almost you're guilty until proven innocent and so you have that burden to to prove you know based on x y and z why if there was nothing wrong with the way that you conducted that Botox party um, or that, you know, that offsite treatment. So, you know, I I completely agree when we navigate this across, you know, the country, regardless of whether what state it is, um, as you said, you're not going to find a rule that says Botox parties are illegal unless you do this or Botox parties are permitted. If you do this, Um, it's more of, you know, looking at the totality of the situation and then, understanding if an issue happens or if you're going to have to defend yourself, Mm -hmm. your license, for instance, these are the factors that are going to come into play as to whether the board is going to have an issue with it or not.
0: Right. So let's get into that because, so let's assume that I, you know, I've got, uh, I'm I'm doing a grand opening of my brand, brand new med spa and I'm going to, I've got a, you know, a a nice list of attendees. We're going to do this, this after hours event. We're not going to call it a Botox party. We're just going to call it a grand opening, but we're going to have, you know, we're going to have folks come in and, 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 and doing, um, doing, um, um, injections, um, and and maybe it's going to, you know, flow over into the, into the office space next door, into the salon that's attached to it you know whatever so it's not necessarily all on site let's say i come in and, and i'm saying "Hey, i want to do this jay what are the what are the 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 the, the things i need to think about before i i engage in that well or, or, or even taking it a step further let's say i want to do it at my i want to have a meet the meet the doctor or whatever meet the provider and it's at my house right so i'm the owner and i want to do it at my at my house and i bring, invite people over maybe that's even a better example what, what are some of the things i need to think about in those situations yeah, I think the, the first and most important thing, and this really sets the tone, I think, for the rest of the things that I'll,
1: I'll mention, but I think overwhelmingly, the if you keep in mind that we're still talking about medical procedures, we are still talking about the practice of medicine, and therefore there is a certain standard of care requirement and so whether you do it in a medical facility, you do it in a exam room of a, you know, another practice, whether you do it at someone's home, whether you do it, you know, at a you know restaurant, whatever the case, regardless of location, the standard of care is constant. Mm-hmm. There's no changing that. And if a medical board or nursing board or anybody is ever going to investigate, that is what they're going to focus on is was the standard of care met and so I think if, if you know most importantly for anyone considering it that's the primary thing to keep in mind and if you follow that mantra and you're 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 doing everything to meet that standard of care, I think that's where the people that do not get in trouble that's where they're successful is because they they're able to prove and demonstrate as I said the, the level of you know, skepticism, you're able to prove I upheld the standard of care, despite the fact that this wasn't done in a traditional location. Mm -hmm. So with that, the primary thing is what we mentioned earlier, the good faith exam. Um, Just because I'm going to a Botox party, it's not similar to, um, you know, the various parties in, you know, the pharmaceutical or the, um, you know, the, the the skincare line space where you go and you try things out and then you can buy things. It, it, has to still follow the same clinical process that you would, whether you're in a facility or whether you're in a restaurant, whether you're in someone's home or whether you're in an exam room. You're still got to follow that same process. So the good faith exam is critical in that that still has to be demonstrated. You still have to have that MD MPPA, one of those prescribing providers, conduct that good faith exam, render the diagnosis, prescribe it. Now when I talk to clients about this process and you know, in relation to Botox parties, you know, the first thing they say is, well, that just killed the environment. Like Mm -hmm. this is supposed to be a party. (laughs) You're talking about, (laughs) you know, treating them like they're in a medical facility, but that's the, that's the unfortunate reality. And there are ways, you know, that you could you know, from a process standpoint that you can get that out of the way before the quote unquote party starts. Mm -hmm. But I think ultimately that is the fundamental thing that you have to remember is I'm still upholding the, the standard of care. I still have to ensure that the patient's safety is not at risk. And therefore I have this obligation to go through this good faith exam. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, probably the the main issue that we we end up talking through and, and having to navigate.
0: Mm-hmm. And so the, one of the questions I, I get all the time is, um, and this, this, this goes to that point exactly is, um, does a physician need to be present? And in fact, there was, there was a, um, a case that that we dealt with here in Chicago not um, not not too long ago, where um, that that was really the issue. It seemed like all the protocols had been followed, good faith exams had been done um, prior, but the there there was no physician on site, and 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 that seemed to rankle one of the 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 the, the medical board members. Even though you know, obviously with nurse practitioners and things that that changes, but. What's the do you does a physician have to be on site or can an RN who's the primary injector at the facility kind of be the one who's there? And if they're just if they're just treating current patients. So, I mean, as we're
1: famous for saying, it depends on the state. Mm -hmm. And, And the reason I say that is, you know, again, regardless of location, there are going to be rules as far as, you know, the delegation and supervision requirements every single state. And so when you look at it, you have to first confirm that your state allows for the delegation and supervision to a certain level with respect to whoever, you know, is going to be on site. RNs in both states are going to be fine. There are a few states out there that would have an issue with it, but um, you know they're for the most part going to be fine doing the injection. So then you go to the second question, um, and what's the level of supervision, especially if they're on site? You know, there's some states. Um, you know, there may be some states. I know uh, Louisiana is one that uh, requires RNs to. Specifically, be within a medical facility or medical office. So it's restrictive to where they can actually perform their services, therefore limiting where they can go from a Botox party perspective. But in other states, it's very broad. And, you know, Texas is a great example of, um, you know, a general delegation state. There's other states out there where really it's ultimately up to the physician to decide what the level of supervision is um and whether they need to be on site or not that's where that issue comes in that you're talking about you know with with Illinois is that even if the law is silent on it even if it doesn't even if we say you know what we're leaving it into the professional judgment of the physician sometimes there's disagreements by the board as to the physician's judgment so a physician may feel completely comfortable with allowing the rn to you know a subject to everything else being done allowing the RN to be alone doing those injections. Uh, But the medical board or whoever's investigating may take a different approach and may believe that it's, uh, you know, that that's not proper. And Mm -hmm. so when you run into that kind of gray area, I think that's where it really becomes important to kind of look at the very specific situations of what's going to happen and put yourself as a provider, whichever side of the equation you're on, put yourself in the best position to have a defensible position. Mm. How experiences that are in, what's their level of experience with with the injections. But more importantly, go back to what I said earlier, the, the overarching theme, patient safety and standard of care. One of the questions that I see happen most often when, we talk to, when we're talking about physicians not being on site or mid-levels not being on site, whatever the case may be, is what would happen if there was an emergency, right? Because the thought is, well, a physician has to be able to step in or the nurse practitioner has to be able to step in to take care of that emergency because they are the ultimate license in that situation. right? And so the question then becomes if something goes wrong at someone's house with a medical emergency and an RN is the only one on site, what are the safeguards? What are the protocols? What have you done to minimize the risk in those kind of situations? And and it's very what if, Mm. but that's how the board would, would be asking these questions. Well, sure. So-and-so is a, you know, is a, 20 year RN who's worked in the hospital, but, you know, what if they had an allergic reaction or they had, you know, some kind of, you know, they started having a stroke or a heart, you know, whatever, you know, the, the weird what ifs are, you have to be able to answer those questions. You have to be able to say, this is the protocol that we have. We have this in place and it needs to be, again, upholding the standard of care you know something that makes sense in the medical community because that's who you're talking to. you're talking to the licensing boards and having to explain, yeah, we we took that under consideration, and this is the things that we did to protect. Now, It's not a golden ticket, and you're still left to kind of the interpretation of whoever it is asking the questions on the board side. But I think you create a better defensible position by saying, Yeah, we addressed that. We just didn't send someone off on their own who was, you know, one year out of school with no, you know, guidance or whatnot and let them do their thing. I think, you know, you show you demonstrate some level of due diligence and and consideration. I think you have a better chance of uh, convincing them that there was no issue, Mm -hmm. uh, especially if nothing went wrong
0: so so a couple things I mean the um, number one if if you're having an event off site um, and you have an RN who's injecting that the, the the good faith exam basically requires either the the, the 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 people who are in attendance to have to be prior patients and to already have had that good faith exam by an MD do or a mid level an NP or a PA before they come right so it, it, you can't have and I guess the other question is you can't have guests show up who are not current patients that the RN has never seen before and have the RN treating them right
1: right right it bypasses the whole diagnosis and treatment plan aspect of the good faith exam.
0: So this kind of brings us back then full circle to the issue of standing orders and, 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 and the, the example that, that, that you had provided, um, just kind of offhand, I realized it was just an academic example was, you know, if you have a, a questionnaire that's got a couple questions, two to three questions, and they answer it, does that mean they're okay to either get an IV or they're okay to, to get a Botox injection from an RN? Um, and, and and I guess my question is, uh, whether it's an IV therapy, like an on-site IV therapy um, service, or it's a some sort of a party at somebody's house where you're doing Botox and fillers, putting aside the the, 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 the basic question or what if it is a very, very detailed standing order or a very detailed protocol that has extremely specific, um, requirements that the RN has to do, um, in order to get to a certain point where they can inject. Cause that, that that's one of the things that I get from RNs is, okay, the, you know, I'm an experienced injector. Um, I've been doing this for 20 years. We have a very, very specific and advanced protocol in place um, that that addresses, you know, nearly all of the eventualities. Therefore, I should be able to do it provided I follow the protocol. What are your thoughts on that? So I think, you know, first. Assuming
1: the state rules don't have something that requires a physical examination or some other interaction in order to develop the doctor, patient, nurse practitioner, patient relationship. So we'll set that aside because some states may have those requirements to where it doesn't matter. It's that doesn't, that's not going to be possible. So let's take an example of a state that is silent on the issue. I think you still have a potential problem in that those questionnaires tend to be somewhat limited. Um, Mm -hmm. No matter how long and detailed they are, part of the issue is you need to acquire all of the information necessary to render the diagnosis, to make sure that that patient is a good candidate. And I would I would believe that there's probably no in depth questionnaire that could probably fulfill that role better than an in person discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, you know, if you do a questionnaire of yes, no, I mean, I've, you know, we've all filled out those questions where it's like, well, I I mean, kind of yes, but kind of no. And so I'm just going to mark no. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Well, what if there's a little bit more to that story that was critically important to a determination of whether they were a good candidate or not? Um, And so I think you lose that flexibility in taking the conversation where it needs to go to make sure that you have done an adequate exam to render this patient um, you know, a good candidate for that procedure, and so even with those uh, clients that I talk to that are in those you know situations where they're trying to you know make that argument, you know, I find that it's extremely high risk because there's nothing in a state that we have you know that I'm I can recall that explicitly permits a questionnaire to fulfill that that role. So it's not like we can say, oh, well, that state says we can do it, so we're fine. It's more about, well, why can't we do this? And so we're left with having to come back kind of, the again, the general, I guess, standard of telemedicine, mm-hmm. you know, in-person good faith exam. And so I, I find that that's still going to be problematic, and it's, it's still going to be fairly risky, no matter how in-depth that is, just because there's always that potential of, well, why didn't you ask this question? Or this question is a yes or no, but what if, you know, they answered it wrong? I mean, we're relying on people just to fill out a form and they just want to get their services. They're probably just going to check yes or no, depending on the question up and down the box really quick and not even think twice about adding that caveat of, oh, but you know, that one time mm-hmm. um, or, oh yeah, I've had that that problem, but you know what I. I I'm not interested in diving deep into that, or you know, it's always have you ever had surgery, and well, what does that mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I had surgery when I was you know six years old, but does that matter now when I'm you know 50? I mean, those mm-hmm. those are the kind of questions that is, are you know can have, you can actually explore a little bit further and, and you know figure out what's relevant or
2: not. Mm-hmm.
0: Hey, folks, it's Alex Tiersch and I got a question for you. What's the number one reason why you haven't purchased the latest laser for your aesthetic practice or why you haven't launched a new treatment you've been talking about for months? If you're like most, it's because you don't have the time. Time to train the staff, the time to consult with your patients, run social media ads. The issue of time is very, very real and it's overwhelming, frankly, for all of us. What if I told you that it didn't have to be that way, thanks to our friends at RepeatMD? What if a company like Starbucks had already solved this problem? And their solution can solve this for you too, just like it does for them. In fact, their solution works so well that it's allowed them to successfully launch 42 new products since 2020, over 15,000 locations. Their magic solution is called the Starbucks Rewards Mobile App. And for you, it's called RepeatMD. RepeatMD has the exact same thing for your practice. They build your aesthetic practice, its own private label mobile rewards app. Think of it like a Starbucks Rewards app, but specifically for your aesthetic practice. Here are some average results that RepeatMD has gotten for their clients. 51 new patient referrals in the first 90 days. 8 out of 10 rewards members purchase a new service within the first 6 months. And $313,000 in top-line revenue growth in the first. Visit repeatmd.com slash amspa to book a quick product demonstration. That's repeatmd slash amspa, And you'll receive a 50% off coupon towards your first purchase for being a listener of Medical Spa Insider. Just go to repeatmd.com slash AMSPA. Thanks so much. Because when you get into injectables, like everyone's anatomy is different. And, and it's really hard. And this is the conversation I've had uh, with folks, typically with RNs, but it's been but it's been with 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 others as well. It's really hard to reduce to writing or to a protocol, um, you know, injection technique and the amount of product necessary to achieve a desired result and, you know, where to do things and how the anatomy, um, you know, cause everyone's anatomy is different. Therefore it becomes, um, it's, it's really hard to objectively standardize a Botox injection to the point where, You could have an RN who's doing it according to a very standardized procedure. And if you look at standard orders in in hospitals for whatever, it's usually things like, you know, if these things happen, then you're going to do you give X uh, injection of medication Um, that doesn't translate exactly to. To, to injectables because there's a certain amount of discretion and art to, to what they're doing. Does, does, does that sound reasonable, what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, no, I, exactly right. I think the word that you used perfectly was discretion. And I think that's where the trouble comes because you know we talk about this a lot with in scope of practice. There is no diagnosis, medical diagnosis within the scope. And so when you start using the term discretion, independent decision-making that falls across that line of medical diagnosis. And so we've, you know, you really quickly can step over that line by exercising a decision that falls outside your scope. And again, you're completely right. You know, in the hospital, sometimes there's, you know, I've talked to registered nurses who, you know, been in the hospitals for twenty plus years, and you know they talked about how they used to run the ER, and you know they would you know basically right. train and, and run it instead of the, the residents. And we all get that you know those they're incredibly bright and brilliant, great at what they do. Unfortunately, it's a different environment, in the med spa space. So it's not a, a, you know a one to one transfer. It's not like we can just step out of that arena and into this and say, okay, everything that I did before applies here. It's not the same. I think that discretion part is is the key word that you use Mm. in the fact that you start exercising discretion or independent judgment. Now you run the very real risk of being considered a practice of medicine um, or rendering medical diagnosis. And so that's, you know, that that's, that's a pretty big topic that we we speak to a lot of clients on is how, how flexible can those protocols be? Um, And it's a difficult, difficult conversation. Um, And I think, you know, whatever four four years, five years, I don't know how long it's been, but the, you know, the Texas Houston arrests, mm. I mean, that was one of the issues was that, you know, the LDN at that case, um, was exercising discretion by deciding where within the range, or maybe there wasn't even a range, um, you know, how much Botox to give. And that was their, you know, the reason yeah. for, uh, the ultimate arrest at that point. So, you know, I think that's, that, that is a, a big issue, but I, I think that discretion word that you use is, is key is mm. why that that creates a lot of risk
0: what about uh, alcohol everyone knows a party <laughs> is not a party without alcohol right or you know, whatever um, so and I, I we, this this question comes out a lot I mean if, if you're having a grand opening this doesn't have to be off-site even just if it's on-site if, if you're doing a an event at your at your facility um, what are you allowed to have, and, and I'm not talking about, you know, licenses and, and, and you know, zoning things or, or things like that. I'm talking about just, you know, from a, a medical perspective. Are you allowed to have alcohol at, at, at events or is that a big no-no? What's the, what, where do you fall on that? I, I think alcohol is probably, that's probably why
1: Botox Party, the term, has that level of skepticism because they immediately think as you said, no party is a party without um, alcohol um, and so they immediately think oh alcohol is being served and that introduces a lot of different issues um, and we won't you know like you said, not talking about the licensing or liability or anything like that. We're just talking about the yeah. medical aspect. Um, you know really it comes down to t- two primary factors. Um, one from a clinical you know issue is how does alcohol affect? whatever procedures they're getting, the Botox or, you know, whatever the case may be, how does that, you know, interplay from a medical standpoint on what they're about to get? I mean, we don't all, we don't walk into a medical office for uh, any type of procedure or anything else that we do, you know, with our uh, bottle of wine or our solo cup, Um, you know, we (laughs) So there, you know, there's that, that expectation. Now
0: of, we know okay. what kind of parties you're going to with so exactly tests, right. I mean.
1: Right. <laughs> um, and so I think that's, you know, that's going to be the concern is from a medical, but I think more importantly, I think what I've, I've seen before is this concern of, okay, again, we're talking about medical procedures and we're talking about standard of care. We're talking about a clinical process. Well, part of that clinical process is informed consent. Mm-hmm. You're about to get a medical procedure. And you have to be fully informed of what it is you're getting and know all the risks. And you have to then decide to make the informed judgment to agree to have that done by that particular provider. And once you introduce alcohol into the equation, that creates potential issues Um, If it's done before, it's going to create issues with the enforceability of the consent, whether they are uh, competent to make that consent. And so it creates significant risk. And I was reading a uh, medical board um, uh, minutes based on an interview with a provider, uh, and they were talking about, you know, Botox parties. And generally speaking, they didn't really care about the fact that it was elsewhere or anything, but they're... The questions that they kept asking were about the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Well, is there alcohol there? Do they do they drink alcohol before they, they sign the consent? Um, and, and they they really focused on you know that piece of the equation because it just introduces a whole nother set of issues. And again, going back to standard of care, that's not normal in the standard of care. So, you know, generally, is there something wrong with it? No so long as you have it done in a way that addresses all of these issues. And so maybe it's the alcohol is there, but it's not, you know, no one before they can have it, maybe for some period after they can't have it. Um, but, th- you know, there's got to be mm-hmm. some consideration. But I think it's super high risk when you introduce alcohol to the equation, um, because if something goes wrong, uh, you're going to have to answer as to you know that issue if that
0: individual had some form of
1: alcohol at any point. Yeah. Man, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> right. Why, why not a party? Then, I guess. I mean,
0: um, no, I mean, it's in, 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 you said something where I've, I've had, I've had folks say to me, well, you know, we're having, um, all of the consents filled out and, 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 um, and signed ahead of time. S- sometimes it's even, you know, before, anything starts it's you know you get together and the you know the 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 doctor or mid-level, or whatever it is, says, here's what's going on, here's what they're doing, blah, 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 and then, you know, it kind of goes through everything with the group so that everyone knows, and then that's all consented to ahead of time, which I suppose is, is that's probably better, right, than, I mean, there's other issues that, that come up, but I think my question with that to them was, okay, that's fine, but once you start serving alcohol, it's also, you know, informed consent is also the right to withdraw consent at any time. Um, That makes it a little difficult when you've got alcohol involved. Is that, is that, is that a fair?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If if you're having them sign consents a day or two before kind of the, you know, it's all in the invitation, so to speak, uh, and they filled it out, you're absolutely right that people have the right to change their mind. People have the right to ask questions. And that can be difficult if they, you show up as a provider and party started an hour and a half ago and you see three or four bottles of wine opened up on the on the table and now you're having to ask them you know do you have any questions before i begin or you know i see your consent you know has anything changed has your health history changed i mean if they filled this out you know a week ago who knows what happened you know in the week leading up to it um i had a client who uh we were talking about the good faith exam and said that a patient came in and said, made an offhand comment comment that she had just gotten out of the hospital like a week earlier from a stroke. Um, and just, you know, it was like, it was no big deal. And so things can happen within a week. And so, you know, there's still a responsibility to make sure that that informed consent is accurate and that that informed consent stays in place at the time that you're doing the procedure. And if there's alcohol that's been introduced beforehand, you can run into the issue that, you know, none of that really occurred or that they weren't competent to, uh, to, to answer, you know, ask questions or, you know, consent further or whatnot. So yeah, there's, there's still, there's still liability there. Um, mm-hmm. even if you do have the paperwork signed up front.
0: Okay. Well, um, so overall, um, I mean, someone says, Hey, can I do a, you know, an event, whether it's about botox part or anything, I mean, are, are you generally are, are you generally okay with folks doing them with certain things in place, or is it, or or is it kind of like, eh, I, I wouldn't do it. I mean, is there a, is there a thumbs up or a thumbs down? We can we can tell folks with this, or is it is it again? I know it's case by case, state by state, but generally speaking, are we in favor or are we are we against it?
1: I think I think um, I think it is a you can do it in a certain way, but it's going to carry some high risk.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so it's not, you know, it, for me, our, my job as an attorney is to explain the the right, the wrong, and then everything in between. And we talk about shades of gray. So there's black, there's white, and there's shades of gray. And most of the time in this industry, we're in the shades of gray. And So my job is to navigate clients through that shade of gray to the point where they feel comfortable. So I don't like to tell people, no, you can't do it. But Mm -hmm. what I like to say is, yes, you can do it. Here are the parameters that you have to do it, but here are the risks that are associated with it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think with Botox parties, it comes inherently risky. Um, And I think you have to have a really strong, uh, set of guidelines that you're going to be operating out of to make sure that you put yourself in the best position to do everything possible. And we didn't even talk about, you know, medical records and right. malpractice insurance and the trap, you know, the 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 taking, disposing and maintaining and, and control of the Botox, the you know, the drugs, that sort of thing. You know, those are other issues that are come into play and are vitally important. So when I start talking about all with all this with clients, I think it becomes apparent that it's not as simple as sending out an evite and showing up to a house or a restaurant. It's not, it it takes a little bit more care and planning and, and a little bit more due diligence. So if clients are willing to invest in that and willing to, uh, do what they need to put themselves in the best position, possible to defend if anything ever goes wrong then i think there is absolutely a way to do it but um if someone is looking for i just want to hold a party at my house and serve alcohol and i can get 20 people and i just want to send out an e i think you know that would be a, a, a problem that is very likely to lead to issues
0: mm-hmm. yeah it um That's a good way to put it. It, it, It's 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 difficult because folks want the yes or no answer. They really want us to be like yes, you can do it. All you got to do is do this, and that's really not ever the answer. It's it's yes, you can do it, but you've got to do these things. And if you do these things, you'll reduce your risk, but it's not eliminated. Um, And 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 that's you know that's that's the tough part because it's really. Uh, in this day and age, it's in, it's very difficult to eliminate totally risk in a in compliance, especially with med spas. Even more so when they're offsite with you know with alcohol. So um, that's that's tough. Well, that's that, that's awesome. I, I anything any other pieces of advice or what advice would you give folks just kind of in closing as far as, uh, what to do with these circumstances? Because, you know, the, the things that we see Jay is that the, these events can be very, very lucrative, not just from a, um, you know, obviously a, a, money in the door standpoint, but from a marketing perspective, you get, you get photos, you get, you get, you know, everyone's having a good time. There's great reviews. You get to pre-book you know, other treatments, you get to sell other treatments. And I'm just talking about, you know, an event at, at, at a, at med spa. Um, but any advice um, just in closing? Yeah, I think the number one advice is plan early. Um, I think the, the clients or the,
1: the, the people that I talk to that are going to be in the most trouble are those that call me up and say, I'm having a grand opening Botox party or whatever the case may be next week. Um, it's very difficult to get them to a place of compliance because really what they're looking for is that yes or no answer. And as you said, healthcare is highly regulated and most of the answers that are, you know, gonna be black or white are gonna be no. But you know, so most of our answers end up being yes, but or yes with an asterisk. So I think plan early. There, like I said, there are ways to do everything and there are strategies to do everything. And that's not just the Botox parties, that's just you know, aesthetics in general, that's meds balls in general, healthcare in general. There are ways to do everything, but you have to plan early. And so I think if if clients are interested in tapping into that potential, which I completely agree, there's, you know, a lot of potential in those types of parties um, and a lot of benefits for any kind of practice. I think you still have to plan early. Compliance takes planning. It takes some time. And if you do all that right, I think you'll eliminate or mitigate risks as much as possible. And you're going to put yourself in the best position to be successful. You know, We always talk about this industry being highly competitive. And so, you know, a competitor can easily see your ads and, and see, oh, wow, they're holding a Botox party down the street. You know, I want to cause an issue for them. Well, you got to be prepared for that. And so I think plan early have, you know, have everything in place, do everything possible, um, address all the issues that we, we mentioned, um, today. But I think that's, those are the people that put themselves in the best position and the mm-hmm. best, uh, you know, position to succeed long-term because they don't have to worry about those, uh, those compliance issues popping up because of a competitor, disgruntled patient, disgruntled employee, whatever the case may be.
0: Yeah. I, the, the, the example I was talking about here in Illinois happened because the, the investigator actually, you know, just saw the the evite or the posting on Facebook or something like that. So it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even a report. It was just it was and, and they had no idea what actually happened. It was just a, you know, a, a post about it. And they were able to, to kind of open an investigation because of that. So that's obviously, you know, just puts a fine point on it. Um, all right, Jay, I appreciate your time. This was super helpful. People are going to, um, I'm sure, have, have a lot of further questions for you. Where can they reach? You know, What's the best way to get a hold of Bertadotto or you if they have questions about this or anything else?
1: Yeah, they can reach out to Bertadotto. Uh, info at Bertadotto.com is the uh, the email. You can go to our website, www.bertadotto.com, B-Y-R-D-A-D-A-T-T-O.com. Uh, and you can uh, reach awesome. out to us to set up a consult. Um, and, yeah, happy to... Happy to be here as always. Thanks
0: for having me, Alex. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. Thanks.
1: Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Jay Rayero, attorney for the legal team of Dotto. If you are new with us, we would love to invite you to hit the subscribe button. Click it now so you can get MSpa content delivered to you each time. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.